I'm Lindsay. And this is episode 25 of Ningyo Bingo. Where you keep collecting dolls. But never seem to win the game. And, uh... And that's the first clean open we've done the first time in a long time, Becca. But you now <laughs> ruined it by commenting on it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> this is why I also have to ruin every single one of our segues. I'm so proud of us. I can't help but let the listeners know how awesome we are. Oh my gosh. Uh, so... But there's been so much happening lately in the doll world, like, I can't even begin to line it up for our intro rambling. I know, I feel like, I feel like our next episode is gonna have to be another Ningyo Bingo bits just to kind of go over some current event things, but I had some other ideas for, for this one. Uh, though, though in November, uh, I will be going to a convention, which is fun. Oh, which one are you going to? Should I already know the answer to this question? No, I feel like I should know the answer to this question already. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I'm going to Anime NYC. Um, oh, that's right. No, you did mention this to me. I've just had such a time lately. I completely forgot that it's already that time of year. I, yeah, and it's... What is that? Okay, so I have a wedding in early November, and then... <laughs> Uh, I'm not oh getting boy. wed. I'm, I'm, I'm. You're already wed. Yes, so. I'm visiting a couple <laughs> that are getting wed. Um, pre-wed sounds like pre-med. Pre-wed? Um, thankfully, it's it not. Takes as much effort, really. Uh, uh, hopefully not. God, you ever see what med <laughs> students go through? It's insane. I know that not sleeping. I love it when health professionals aren't sleeping. Yeah, no, this this is totally fine for these people to be working twenty hour shifts because obviously, obviously we 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 lose so much information and in communicating from one to another. It's much safer for our patients to have us work twenty hour shifts, right? I don't like, under. There must be just a better way to convey information. There has to be a better way called you know labor laws but well, regardless yeah. so you have the wedding you have the wedding uh, but okay then then we have anime nyc which is sponsored by crunchyroll oh that's right i had forgotten that they'd gotten behind that considering that it had kind of died at one point <laughs> did it i don't know i thought anime nyc was totally new last year i thought was the first year of it well i think anime nyc as it is as an entity is new, but there used to be an anime convention in New York that got eaten by Comic-Con. There's a few of them that came and went. Actually, my first anime convention was Big Apple Anime Festival. That's the one that really died. Yeah. Oh, want to take a guess at what I cosplayed? (laughs) I'm going to guess Edward Elric. No, I think this was actually before that even came out. Was this Sailor Mercury? No, it was after that, somewhere in between. Do you want to keep going or should I just give it to you? I'm trying to remember all the costumes of yours I've taken pictures of because that's usually a oh. good way for me to remember my friend's costumes. Oh no, this was, this was, well, okay. I say this is after Sailor Mercury, but I mean it's after the Sailor Moon fad, but before I actually made that really good Sailor Mercury costume. <laughs> Oh, I see. There's a timeline here I'm missing. Yeah, my very, very first sure. cosplay was actually Sailor Saturn for, like, Halloween. My sister was oh, Pluto. Oh, that's right. I remember those pictures. Between me and my sister and her friends, we made, like, I think the all the inner and outer senshi? Maybe that's... minus, I think minus Neptune and Uranus. That is pretty impressive, all things considered. Yeah, so that was pretty, pretty shway. Uh yeah. To bring it back to that 90s feel. Pretty, pretty shway. <laughs> so what did you cosplay at Big Apple Anime? Uh, it was Subaru from Dot Hack. 
that's a cute one. Yeah, so little tiny me and I think 2003 running around with my dr- midriff out was <laughs> probably giving my dad a heart attack. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I did get a cute picture with Subasa there. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So fond memories there of anime up in New York City. So so instead of me cosplaying this time, well, I have some cosplays I could get ready or things like that, but I think their weapons policy for the center is pretty harsh and things like that. It is pretty so, strict, and also having to go to the Javits Center via public transport, yeah. It's not super cosplay-friendly. People braver than me do it, but it's also, like, the subway yeah. in winter. Yeah, it's not super cosplay funny, but it can be very easy for me to bring a doll in cosplay. Oh, so this is the project I was helping you with a few weeks ago. Yes, so I am making Crunchyroll Hime, which is Crunchyroll's mascot, as a Dolphy Dream. and So you're using your to be want to be to be for that one yeah <laughs> so i have this one body and i so far i have three heads for it um so i mean i feel like this is doing dolphy dream correctly so i mean yeah it works pretty well i'm proud of what i've done so far and i swear i have all the pieces in place but i just i'm almost there once i have this done maybe we should do like a little project journal kind of discussing things we've learned oh that would be really fun because i've I've got ideas for my dolls that I'm notoriously bad at working on, but some of them have face-ups now. They didn't have face-ups before. Yeah, so maybe we'll have a project journal episode. Just maybe people can learn from our terrible, terrible mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that really what sharing things on podcasts are for? Don't do what we do. (laughs) Yeah, So, so, so back to that previous thought. So... I do have this outfit for her, which I, I, I think we've shown some pictures, especially my, my favorite one on our, on our uh, Facebook page is uh, 2B, the android with the uh, droids from uh, Star Wars, because it was just yeah. fun yeah. to me. Um, droids with droids. Um, the streams are crossing. And we're currently sitting on October 16th, and, and uh, just four days, the pre-orders open for 2B. From is near that this weekend? Yeah. That's this weekend. Yeah, that's this wow. weekend when I'm going to wow. be in the Poconos, probably with no internet. Well. <laughs> you know, um, well, they're doing, what kind of pre-order are they doing? Uh, they, Aren't they doing the kind of like we take all the orders we're going to get and we're going to fill them all kind? That is very, very true, but also sometimes those become uh, first purchased, first shipped. Oh, so how long are you willing to wait for your grail of a dolphy dream? Yeah, that there, therein lies, therein lies the problem. But but the the first problem I had with this doll is that I had purchased the the dolphy dream outfit from a. Uh, Sen House, I forget the exact name of it, but you can find it online. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, so the 2B outfit, which is basically a cosplay outfit for the Dolphy Dream, that stains them par- terribly. You heard it here, like, first, hopefully second, because So the black them. print, because it's definitely a printed fabric situation, doesn't 
really the the inks didn't adhere well enough to the fabric it's printed on it sounds like well it's not so much that the ink doesn't adhere it's just that dolphy dream vinyl is like a straw when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or a sponge perhaps it will just i say a straw because it just sucks the pigments out of things oh no so it's more of a <laughs> aggressive capillary action i swear it is i so really it's like literally going i'm so thirsty please give me something ah yes this dye perfect i'm i'm thirsty for pigments particularly blacks and red <laughs> pigments please <laughs> gotta get that pigment wait isn't there like uh in in adventure time isn't there someone that like drinks colors or somebody oh yeah the way um the one the most famous of the vampires are marceline she drinks the red out of things Oh, that's Which funny. is interesting when her canning girlfriend is pink. Uh, oh, I never thought about that. Uh, <laughs> well, Welcome to the internet, Becca. The be- I guarantee you the internet's thought about this. Scary. <laughs> Speaking of which, apparently Adventure Time, because it ended recently, like, eh? had a pretty good ending for, like, representation and, like, how they kind of put a bow on the end of the series. Well, that's nice. I hope, yeah. I just hope that Finn, like, found his dad or whatever, because I thought he was, like, looking for stuff like that. Oh, it's complicated. Oh, shit. Okay. I was, I only barely know anything about Adventure Time, and I was reading a summary, and I was very confused, but also, like, this feels, uh, this seems fine? For real? <laughs> I, I don't quite understand everything that's being referenced here, but I do know the Ice King got, like, put back to normal. Oh. So that's a thing. Oh, snap. Oh, snap, indeed. But, like... Uh, uh, thirsty ice kings aside they have nothing on the dolphy dream body yes it's hard when you want to put black on them yeah so so uh what 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 volks did is actually this is one of the first limited dolls they're releasing that is actually coming with a, a body stocking and it actually Isn't it, doesn't have a special boob window on it yeah the boob the, the, the body stocking is going to have a boob window which matches up with the outfit's boob window <laughs> Because that's very important, clearly. <laughs> Obviously. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with the character design we're talking about, um, Becca, could you give us like a brief rundown of what she looks like? Uh, slightly more badass maid esque figure. So you have an Lolita e dress. Yeah, thing yeah. Happening. So so you have floofy featherness on a three quarter sleeve. You have um, boob window-ness with the top part uh, having cutaway filigree kind of stuff, but the blue window under that. You have sort of an A-line cut skirt that ends a little bit above the knee. And then you have basically uh, about thigh-high, uh, uh, well, the boots go a little bit of the knee. And then you have thigh-highs over that, so... And everything is black. from the top of her collar to the bottom of her boots is more or less black with white contrasting design elements. Yeah, even her hair is is black. The uh, is white, and the only little bit of color I think in her entire design is really her eyes, and that's debatable because depending on the lighting and where you're seeing her in the game, they can kind of appear as a light blue or between a light blue or some sort of shade of gray. Um, it's like a blue-gray. And even better for the Dolphy Dream problem is most of the time she's wearing a blindfold device that is also black. 
Right, which is directly on the face. So they have to white line those, I've heard, so that it can when it goes on the face, it will it will actually cover that. Like uh right now, I'm I just my audio sounded crappy cuz I turned my head towards it. Um the is blindfold that why I lost you on the Skype call. <laughs> seconds yes yeah so her um very alarming her what's the cord it is called her blindfold that her tactical goggles that she was wearing tactical goggles that are totally just blindfolds right um that were she was wearing for the 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 uh chinese cosplay version um totally the the ribbon left a blackish blue mark on behind the ear where it was tied around and i'm currently oh, trying no. to use oxygen uh, oh, peroxide based things to remove that because it was really dark and i'm like oh no that's uh, so either that happened or go she back got- to our episodes about you know weighing the differences between resin and a vinyl this is one of those issues where it's just not something you can really solve despite, unless you like work around the fact that it is thirsty, thirsty vinyl and that black dyes are usually pretty virulent. Yes. And so, so before this whole idea that, that basically I had pr- purchased this outfit, this older outfit, a cosplay outfit, and the idea of that this will tide me over. I will be fine. I will not want the two be. I won't need to be whenever Volks decides to actually do it, because for a while there it was kind of iffy whether or when they were going to be able to move forward on pre-order for production, and you were just kind of like, okay, I will. I have my own, I'm like, okay with this one, if one never happens, this is fine, this is fine, but then when the official pictures came out... I then had to ask myself the question, to be... Or not to be. That was the question. <laughs> and, dear listeners, that is the name of today's episode. <laughs> because we're going to be talking about, even in a situation like this one, why do we buy art pieces? Because in the end, the ball joint to doll hobby is just, we're, it's a, it's a interesting offshoot from the porcelain doll collecting hobby, which is all about, like, their expensive hunks of things that just sit there they don't do anything or one could argue they don't do anything well well let's ask this if something is mass produced so many times well maybe not mass produced if something is this is going to be a massive pre-order where everybody that pre-orders and purchases it gets one if that is the case is it is it still art? Is it still, or is it just a mass-produced toy? Where is the line between art and toy, and why does that line matter? That is a good question, because in the end, if you're just, for example, you remember, like, Halloween when you got, like, to that house, and it was, like, the, you got the toys, Instead of, like, the candy. I never had that house. Well, I mean, like, the dinky little toys. Like, the little frogs. No. Like, the little frogs where you, like, lean on the... Like, the frog... For me. Tell me about this house. <laughs> I mean, okay. So, like, you'd get, like, the spider, like, 
like rings or you'd get like the little frog where if you like oh, lean down on its butt things. it would jump or something right 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 even for those the dinkiest of crappiest things that they give out that to every single child on the street at the same rate that somebody else would give out a tootsie roll um somebody had to sit there design that and sculpt that and make a mold for that and then somebody else who was trained needed to fill that mold with plastic to make your shit so to to make the thing for you yeah yeah so and it's like where does the line end between reproducibility and the value that comes from what we label as art because the moment we put the toy word on top of an object it is, for whatever reason, immediately devalued in terms of the images we have of it and the feeling that the word carries with it. Like a toy, you think of a toy, and the first things that come to mind for me, even on the expensive end, are like action figure maybe $20 kind of guys. And then you say art, and you immediately think of like a brilliant painting in a museum, but is one truly worthy of more value than the other? Is the label what's important? Is the sort of context of it what's important? What makes it something worth having? And then even then, why have either item if ultimately they don't do anything? Like, put a roof over your head or put food in your stomach. What is the value of both the toy and the art? So... So, talking with 9S and 2B together, it's going to be a pretty hunk of change. <laughs> um, I think it's it's going to be close to, what, 1200 or something for both of them? Yikes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, two of them together, that is a lot in our hobby. Yeah. So That's a lot of stuff you're getting, because it's not just the doll you're also as i understand it you're getting a stand two stands and a secondary kind of moving figure too yeah which is pretty good for a dolphy dream considering 1200 is what i'll see sabers go for on the aftermarket right so so there is that part um so with that hunk of change there's a lot of things you could do you could probably put a down payment on a car you could yeah. probably buy groceries for a month or so. Or longer, depending on what kind of household you are in. Yeah. You could probably make a sizable donation to, I don't know, a library, Doctors Without Borders. ACLU. Any of these things. <laughs> you could buy an entire new wardrobe, almost. Yeah, depending on where you shop, I... Thrift shops, though, baby. <laughs> Thrift shops being fantastic. And there's so many other things that these monetary things are being put towards. And I think a lot of hobbyists struggle with that sort of immediate, almost aggressive accusation. Why did you buy this? That happens sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think, like... If you are affluent enough to to own these dolls, ideally you're affluent enough to also put money into all these other items, including so, some into charity or your time or something of the sort. 
So there's a issue of proportion here that I think we've touched on a few times in other topics, such as when we talked about um, the satisfaction that comes from a doll. We've talked about this in the um, general overview episodes we've done about general doll things to know before you buy things is that this is not an inexpensive hobby. And every time we end our show, we're saying... We always mention, keep a budget when you're doing these things. I This is all an interestingly entangled topic with money and livelihood and why do we do these things in the very basic form? Because if you're living in a situation where, say, some of these dolls run between, um, depending on the company we're working with, and the size of the doll between 200 at the very, 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 very bottom that I can think of, to upwards of a thousand dollars you if that is your rent going into instead into this object there's questions you have to start asking yourself but at the same time if you really want something and you sit and you invest your own money without to the detriment of your own livelihood why should anyone say you can't do what you want with that well there's a moral question and more, whenever the word morals comes up, it gets tricky because everyone has, and is coming from different places, about that kind of question. So, if I have a roof over my head and I have food that I can eat, why do I not just live with that bare minimum and then devote the rest of my, my income and, and gains towards other people who do not have those things? Right. What about the social contract over what we owe to others? I know in some cultures and religions, it's even more strongly codified exactly what you're expected to do to have that sort of thing that you owe back to the community around you. Um, in, isn't mitzvah like somewhat related to this in Judaism? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a type of mitzvah that is the like giving to others kind, which is um, a celebration, really. Yeah, and and it it's uh, it's an interesting question, which it's comes down to. Uh, I think it comes down to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where mm-hmm. um, once you have all those needs fulfilled, you will be physically fulfilled. But you will not be mentally fulfilled. I think that's a really important point because people have struggled over trying to put a definition on the value of art in our lives. And of having things that are not for a direct purpose all the time. This is one of the basic questions that people kind of wrestle with in philosophy and that kind of level of thinking. And it comes up every time you see... Um, an art piece that is hard for people to understand sell for thousands and millions of dollars is the question I have not, I can't count the number of times I've gone to a museum that's like, and we've walked into the early modernist section and early modernist um, from like the 19, uh, like fifties, 1960s art is sometimes it's a giant canvas. And when you look at it, it's just a block of color. And people walk into those spaces and I have heard over and over again from everyone, like, why is this worth so much money and why do people care about this? 
I actually and read a long article trying to understand this this value of art and and they broke it down to a few things um like is this like how people literally make valuations of art yes actually oh this is fantastic so now we're moving this is getting a step away from the philosophical question into the practical question of how do people actually try to assign a value to these things um so so this is strictly for art which it's hard to relate directly to our dolls but it kind of breaks it down like this provenance provenance sorry condition yeah, provenance provenance is fine <laughs> uh, authenticity exposure and quality um wow a lot of these are very subjective aren't they uh yeah so number one uh, even though it's lower on the list i'm going to talk about exposure first um, so what does exposure mean here, Becca? Because the first thing I'm thinking of, because I'm thinking about ball jointed dolls, is like exposure to the sun. And I'm pretty sure that's not what we're talking about. No, and it's not like my poor doll who um, is currently uh, in, in in need of her her bodysuit and is very exposed, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry, Miss Hime. Um, <laughs> so exposure. The... the in this article that I read, which I should bring up eventually so I can actually link it and talk about it. Wait, wait, wait. I'll work on that. So exposure is how much the public knows about this artist or this piece or things like that. So the more you know about it, the more you're going to want to buy it or the more people that are going to want to buy it. And then, of course, you increase demand, so you increase the price. Ha ha ho! And the basic—it's the basic. Um, uh, what is the word I want? Formula for capitalism: the more people want a thing, and the less of that thing there is, the higher the price is going to become. To naturally widow out those who want it more than others and have the resources to put towards it. Okay, here here's the article. It's called "The Value of Art: Money, Power, Beauty." Who Decides What Ooh. Art Is Worth by Michael Findlay. I love the power in that title because I think it's important. November 1st, 2012 from Art News, Artnet News. Um, so there you go. Woohoo, citing our sources. Very important. <laughs> Very important. So exposure is more about how well known is it than anything with the sun. Yeah, th- though if you think about it, if Volks does a series that's less well-known in the U.S., that doll is going to have less of a value in the U.S. than it might have in Japan being sold. I know there's several um, on the more uh, love live end of things. The They do a lot of... they. There's occasionally dolls that they'll do, especially in the Dolphy Dream, where I look at them like, I don't actually know this one. Yeah. And I think... You don't you don't see them as often in the market. You don't see people talking about them as much. You don't see the grabbing hunger for it as much. And I definitely, on the secondary market, at the very least, the price goes down. Because Volks has their Japanese audience that knows what it is and is going to go after it. But even Volks has, like, messed with price a little bit. Yeah, so, so that's the one side of it. On the other side, you could have the 
entire opposite thing happened where if you're trying to sell on the secondary market on in the US there might be not that many here so then you can drive your price up here right what, so what, that's exposure that we're talking about there yeah what about provenance that's a word that i don't know if everybody knows okay so provenance is like i know who owned this piece before me and before that person and such and such so provenance sometimes can be hi here's my coa or my my this is the being able to prove in the market that this is a real thing because i owned it and then this person did before me and this person before me and this person before them and they got it from here and it's a little weird and intertwined because in our in our field provenance and authenticity kind of kind of overlap they're very highly linked for us because they're uh, provenance is really more like well the the rockefellers own this painting so so they're part of the history of an already famous person or group thus gaining value because they're part of that story right uh here you might not get much of that unless let's say well, we don't really go Sometimes, sometimes I'll see it in people talking about the face-up done on the doll. That's what I was about to say. Like, uh, my, oh my gosh, my illness illusions face-up or things like that, where it's a well-known... Or like, I have a few, I have two, um, oh goodness, I am losing every word today. Um, what's her face? (laughs) Fat chicks? No, but yes, but no, um... Goodness, you can tell I've had a long day because I'm blanking entirely on her name. She's one of the most famous face-off artists in the hobby. Oh. Uh. Uh. I only know the one that did mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But, like, there's a... And, um, there's, like, a few people who, if they've done your face-up, people make a point of telling you who did it because their skills are well-known and uh, throughout the hobby and sometimes they're a little hard to get a hand... Like, to get a commission from. But we don't really go, my doll was owned by, I don't know, the president of BJD. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no. We don't have that um, connection to a history or a famous person that affects the value for us, which is an interesting idea now that we think about it, because I can think of porcelain pieces that have that. Yeah, probably. I mean, the only thing I could say for provenance is just that. The only thing that would somewhat correlate with that here is that um, on DOA, you have a feedback thread. Oh, yeah. So if you're being sold from someone as a bad feedback thread, that doll is not going anywhere. Yeah, so it devalues the doll. It it basically makes it harder for it to sell. However, if you are a good seller and you have nothing but good feedback, it kind of adds to the provenance because you, you... by you being a reputable seller, it adds to the the confidence and the authenticity of the doll. So authenticity that that one's pretty easy. Like authenticity is is this legit? Yeah, which we are. It's we the recast to, problem. It rephrased and really, we, and, and we've talked to this a million times. But also, let's talk about it here. Okay, I got my gosh darn Chinese knockoff two P outfit. <laughs> I'm not satisfied. It it doesn't. It's not value as valuable to me as this licensed doll will be. 
I part of that is provenance, where it's coming from. It's not coming from a company that's well known. It's not coming from a background of like being hand sewn by a famous um, person who works in the hobby. It's just a company that makes things in small batches, but ultimately kind of like mass produces them in a way that is not doesn't have an eye to quality the way that the reputation that Volks has has, and. It comes from a source that doesn't have a lot of weight to it, but then you have the Volks doll, the Volks name. You know exactly what they're coming from. You know what to expect from a Volks product. Well, let's segue a little here. Also, when you're buying something that's officially licensed, I get to support the artists at Volks, and I get to support... Yoko Taro, the crazy man that he is. Oh my god. Because it's officially licensed through the creator of that character. Right. Well, at least through Ultimately, Square to the company. But... I don't know how much of money from this will be directly going to Yoko but Taro. At least but at it is connected to the people who created the original ideas that she's based on. Right. And this also leans a little bit into quality, too. Because quality is about what something is made out of, how it is made, the artistry and the care that goes into something. Something with a lower quote-unquote quality face-up, for example, when you try to sell it, people, even though they're, you can remove them, like, it immediately pulls down the value. And if it's like a Volks doll that doesn't have the original face-up from the company and someone redid it, that's kind of, that's part of condition too, but quality like the quality that we know that when we look at the pictures of the volks to be dressed those are not printed dresses that is an embroidered dress as opposed to the one i currently have which also has a not completely accurate pattern on the dress because it has a white pattern on the black skirt and vice versa on the underneath of the skirt um also interesting to talk about quality um in paintings and things like that there's something called catalogs I'm going to mess this really hard up because I do not speak French at all. Catalogue raisons, I think. Catalogue raison. Yeah, okay, you know the thing. I took French once. <laughs> yeah, it's... Okay. Catalogue raison. Um... So, depending on the artists, the catalogues they made for the artists were either better or worse. And that's how you would know... A little bit about the rarity of or quality of the painting, because you would know. Oh well, Van Gogh painted X amount of sunflowers, and you have one out of X of those sunflowers. Um, and oh. the one that you have has particularly more yellow or orange or something. And we know this by the catalog, and we have a good catalog of it. Uh, the more um, the more accurate your catalog is, the more kind of steady and confident your buyers are going to be because they're not going to know what they want and know what they and want. And this is talking in terms of the else. people selling the product. Yes, selling and buying. So, like, if I'm buying it, I want to say, oh, well, I have... I, I don't really want to pay that much for this sunflower because there's 50 of them and I can just go for another buyer's one whenever it comes to the market. Now, Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, how does this apply to Volks? Well, right now... Or any doll company, really. A lot of the times, limited dolls and other things like that, uh, they do mark actually a time period and innovation for the doll company. For example, this will be the 
third or fourth doll from Volks that will be released with the Dolphy Dream F to the third, F cubed, who knows, mm-hmm. um, essentially Dolphy Dream 4, um, internal skeleton. Um, it's So kind- there's something special about how she's being made. Right. And that leans into the quality and also leans into where it lies in this Volks catalog of their art and that it's during this this also reminds me of to go into a few other companies as well to give a kind of wider spread of what we're talking about that's true ipple house yes does very limited sculpts and skin colors in combination um what i can really think of is when they did that open vampire mouth that had this beautifully sculpted mouth with like tongues you could interchange you mean the one that's sort of the the one that's oh so very heavily recasted the one that's super recasted because they made it only like one or two times and it was incredibly unique not just for their lineup but for dolls in general so that brought up that demand for it because it was unusual and the quality of the sculpting and the casting was really really lovely or even just Um, we've also seen it in doll chateau does this all the time they do limited types of bodies, limited types of combinations of things, things that only happen for a very limited amount of time, which is all part of where that piece stands inside of their greater catalog of pieces that they offer. Dollzone does this. Anytime a company is does a limited edition anything and introduces something in that limited edition that is not normally something you can grab, that increases the value almost immediately. And it's usually during those limited editions that they launch something of a new style. A new style body, a new style joint, a new style um, neck piece, hands, something like that. And it's sometimes, part of their overall marketing scheme. And sometimes it's, it's part of just that limited. It's never going to be released again. And sometimes that's introducing it to the market, which just makes that limited doll. Even that, that part isn't going to be limited. Like, and it makes fine, it so yeah. much more valued. And that's part of the same things we see in fine art culture, is that idea of this was the one time Van Gogh used green this way. Gosh. It's it's, it's very interesting. I, I, okay, I didn't, I had, like, zero interest in Van Gogh. I really did. And then I went to the King of Prussia Mall, and they had this little pop-up shop there. And I'm like okay whatever let's see it was five dollars to enter and they had these really cool they like 3d scanned his art and then did oh so you would have the texture and then they printed it so you could actually see the texture of the painting and everything like that van gogh has to be seen in person i it really does i really didn't understand it until i saw it and i just grabbed my postcard that i bought at the museum because I didn't realize it, but Van Gogh had a face where he was really, like, kind of looking at Japanese art. Yes. There's a whole um, period in French um, Impressionist culture, Impressionist art culture, where some of the ideas that were coming out of it were part of the Orientalist exchange that was going on at the time. So, and Monet has a very famous painting that is associated with this as well, who's part of the same sort of... Uh, artistic movement as Van Gogh. Was that the one that drove all that controversy with someone trying on kimono 
and the museum and it kind of being a little... I'm not sure about that part of it. Though I do know that um, the painting in question, there's a woman who is probably one of his models or maybe even be his wife wearing a heavy overrobe that would be used in a specific way with like these fans in the background and you can also see it in the impressionist movements in like strong whatever you see in the impressionist era of things strong outlines around figures or part of the figure that is part of that influence from japanese woodblock prints oh yeah i get but, it yeah so a lot of that's where that's coming from um, that sense of using outline and like like large pieces of color um, are coming out of the woodblock print prints that were being imported um, into France because of France's relationship with Japan at the time. And Monet has the, it's this picture of this lady. And she's like, I'm wearing a kimono, that like a robe, and I've got these fans behind me. And apparently later in life, he was very embarrassed by this painting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, the one by Van Gogh, I actually have it in my this postcard in front of my hand. It's uh, this was called Almond Blossom. Oh uh, boy. It was Fe- February eighteen ninety, oil on canvas, uh, seventy three point three by ninety two point uh, four centimeters. That's not like Van Gogh's pieces aren't as big as you might think they are. They're, yeah. they're kind of small. So it was. I mean, to give you an idea, uh, 60 centimeters is our average doll, and this is 73 centimeters by 92 centimeters. So there you go. About, this, about two dolls left and right. <laughs> one, one, one and a half, maybe. And it's, one and a half dolls. And it reminds me very much of cherry blossoms. It's on, done on this, like, seafoam-type field background with the, the branches and everything like that. Ooh. Yeah, no, I've fallen in love with this, which is why I bought this beautiful glossy postcard to bring it home. And I'm sure it had these me. beautiful heavy paint strokes where you just see the paint just thickly moving and creating those bark textures. And Yeah, yeah, it did. Very much did. Um, and this is all to go to say, well, how did we get a thing again? I forget. We were talking about... Uh, catalogs and things like about that catalogs right and and van gogh <laughs> and this this van gogh had green in it but when it i think we're getting um a little bit into where art and these things that are essentially call them toys or call them art um what kind of role they play for us there's something deeply there's something that can be deeply engaging and moving about the communication the things that something is trying to tell us, because ultimately all of these things are made by people. Yes. Yeah, so, so the last thing about value is basically condition and everybody, but hopefully most people in this podcast know that, you know, the closer to a doll is to like new, the better your price is going to be to that. And obviously if you're getting it directly from the company, it's going to be like new. Ideally. It's going to be like new. And the more accessories that are intact with the doll in the secondhand market, the higher the price is going to be because just lacking even one of those pieces kind of makes the set no longer as valuable as it once was, which is pretty typical in collection hobbies. I remember this one gal, I think, was searching for years for an original chi spool for her chi she had everything else except for that oh no like that's the hair piece you're talking about uh-huh 
Oh, that's rough. That's rough, because who's going to sell just one? Yeah, and where did the original one go? Was it broken? Did it, was it lost forever? Like, eventually was those things... Yeah. Uh, and people were saying the, the little Miku, um, like, little square hair thingies also have a tendency to get gone. Lost. <laughs> yeah. So we have art, the art world, laying out these ways that art is valued. And they match and basically map almost one-to-one to the hobby that we do. But... I don't know if I'm convinced yet that we are working with art pieces. Okay, so let's take an empty white room and put a white chair on it and sit you in it. Well, then you just did modernism, so okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, we'll, We'll sit you in that for a little while. I mean, there's nothing much going on there it's an empty space not informing you of anything other than the color white in your own thoughts but once you put an object in there a magazine a clock a doll in a case you have created something a piece of culture in which you can interact with um so by adding these little pieces of posters flowers cups with you know silly slogans on them all these little things into our life we are engaging in our culture and enriching our environment and our minds in a way it's allowing us to display to others if not ourselves who we are yeah it aren't we do like to like fill our space with things that define our interests um my husband has video games on his walls and it was very important to him to actually have them displayed neatly so he very carefully when we came in to the house put up the um dvd racks so we could put them up there because that was important to him and it made him feel good and happy to have it there and organized I know a lot of people who are very invested in having, like, that front room of their house a certain way so that when you walk into the house, you get a specific feeling and sort of expression of space when you walk into the front door. Yeah, it was it was actually a very, very long time, but I've always wanted something in the end of my front hallway when you came in. I finally got a cool picture. Um... I don't know how much it talks about me, but my mother-in-law helped pick it out, and it's a it's a nice snow scene. Actually, going back to art, it's a There's, snow yeah. scene of a Victorian house with a few people in front. So, and like the harmony of colors in a space really affects, and it's been proven to affect how we feel. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember lots of studies about green and plants in hospitals and things like that, and work environments, but. I don't, I have not actually personally read that many studies about art in environments. I think because a lot of people argue about it, because it's very personal how you interact with these things. Like, I think of, when I think about the value of art in our personal spaces, in particular our personal spaces, not just a space we go to to see them, like a museum, is a walking into a brutalist style building. Brutalism is not a type of architecture I like. 
very much. What, what is and it? I don't even know what that brutalism is. Brutalism is, have you ever seen a building that is almost entirely, like, hard, hard geometric lines made of pure, poured concrete? Okay. So. There's a few examples of these over in Philadelphia. Um, one of the main dormitories for UPenn is a brutalist structure. It's like, if you look at a building and it looks someone took a concrete block and spl- like set it down and made a building out of it. Huh. I feel like I, my, in my brain is just reminded of like a skate park. No, it's very, very much like that feeling. Okay. <laughs> it's just exposed concrete. And the whole idea of brutalism is that to really embrace the character of concrete and what it looks like and the character it has. But for me, it's a very harsh, it's a very harsh space to be in for me personally. I mean, so for me, like I couldn't live in a brutalist space without plastering it with things that like you, I almost feel like I'm not nervous exactly, but uneasy when I'm in a brutalist space. Cause it's so flat and hard and lacking those like expressions of character that I personally makes me feel comfortable in my space. <laughs> so in my space, I seek to put things that help me feel better in a, a certain sense, like having my figure arts that I deeply love because they're Tiger and Bunny, and Tiger and Bunny means a lot to me, arranged in a way to create scenes and stories. That's something that really satisfies me. And, or I have a few pieces from the Ren Fair. Like I have a beautiful mask that does nothing but exist as a mask. It's a beautiful leather mask, but looking at it and having it in my space is when my, like when I can take that moment to kind of just exist in the space with it, it really brings into my space a sense of comfort. Isn't the word I exactly want, but it feels like a space that I can live and breathe out in. Comfort. But some people love brutalism. Yeah. I mean, I, I I always like the look of raw brick, but some people are kind of like would much rather have it painted, <laughs> like, or would prefer to have wood paneling, or something like that. Yeah, and it's to to each their own. But at least it's you know, very particular. But it still matters, no for... matter what your preference is. Yeah, but wait, but wait. In joke for the people that actually played near, so created city. Is kind of boring if you sit there too long. <laughs> if you haven't gotten to Created City, you will, and you'll know what I mean. Um, so, and, and another interesting thing is that once an object is made, you can thereby enjoy it without issuing any more um, effort, e- energy out of this object. So, so uh, aside from the initial manpower it took to make the doll after that every time you look at the doll and are enjoying the doll you're enjoying the doll without using any sort of energy you're not like you could be a passive consumer of it right you you're not like turning and using electricity to to turn on the tv you're not like driving they somewhere exist with it yeah and they keep existing no matter what you turn on or off. It's something that is persistent in your space and is can be just there for you to either interact with or to enjoy on a just a pure level of 
no weightiness to it, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I mean, like, yes, it's somewhat satisfying and exciting to look at the 9S and 2B pictures of the dolls themselves. It's an entire different experience to actually exist in the same space with them. I think there's an element here, too, of talking about artistic quality. The more you understand where a doll comes from and what went into making it, I think the more you pull out of it when you can sit and just have it, like, be in the space with it. Yeah. um, For example, I... I have this outfit, this cosplay outfit um, of Esmeraldas, actually, from uh, Galaxy Express and various um, different various other parts of that entire storyline that keeps being woven and interwoven and unwoven and rewoven. Um, <laughs> and for me to look at this, the, the seamstress ability of this outfit, like even without it being on the doll, like I. I saw it at first on the doll, but when I was taking the outfit off of the doll, I started to appreciate it more. Cause now you can see the seams. You can see the construction. And, like, the perfectly lined up lining and outer part of the coat. Right. How evenly stenciled on the, the, the skull was. How um, it had a... Oh, my gosh. What do you call that when... The little edgy part of something... Hemming? When it's like a little beaded line at the end of it, uh, it, it the trim, there was trim. And trim, was, we're both struggling today. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. There was trim and it was like even all the way through and it must have been handmade for the scale. And I'm just looking at it and I'm like, uh, this is There's something insane. about handling that that is, it does something good for you. Yeah, and I mean like, that was an individually made as a commission for an individual person, but when you get to these dolls, there's going to be so many of them made, but at the same time, they're still going to be sewn together by people, and each, like, doll is going to be hand-assembled and things like that, so... And the artistry that went into creating that piece? Yes, it still still exists, because for every... every there is a seamstress that begins this process and makes the patterns and everything else, even if it's less skilled seamstress that's, that, that, yeah, seamstresses? Seamstry? Seamstry? <laughs> I vote for seamstry. I know it's not what it should be, but I like it better. It's really hard hard to say seamstresses. So I'm seamstress? going... Seamstress? Many seamstresses? This is, this is a problem English has almost exclusively. I'm going to say seamstry from now on. Yes, I am here for this. I support you. <laughs> I acknowledge it's probably wrong, but I like it better. It's okay. We can... It's like it's how seen... octopi is technically wrong. It's technically wrong. Yes. Oh, oh. It should be octopods. I read something funny the other day that they were talking about how um, how English is weird and pronounces things oddly. And someone's reply was, yes, that's because... English beats you up in the alley and then rifles through your pockets for... Pockets for grammar. <laughs> That's one of my favorite yeah. um, quotes about English to take a small walk down a side road here as we're talking about art, is that English in particular is a pigeon language in, a, in like a very strong way. And then we ask the entire world 
to learn it. Yeah, it is. It is a why way. Why did we? I mean, I know why it's called imperialism and a whole slew of things I can talk about for a very long time. But seriously, <laughs> I mean, I guess we could all just learn Esperanto, maybe. But there's always a connection between what language everyone's learning and power. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but there is something to where if like if the question becomes why do we buy these things can we call them art can we call them do we call them a toy does it matter which one it is i feel like an art piece that you can interact with impacts you more almost yeah definitely like even if like okay if it's a picture of a doll or a picture of a model or something you have it in your home that's one thing but but objects that exist in 3d space i think are even they more interesting real yeah and then that you interact with them on a very different way than a flat image which is probably i think why rodon like like his art like mm -hmm. it 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 has such presence like Oh, absolutely. Rodon, um, for those who don't know him, is a fairly famous sculptor who worked in the late 1800s. Um, you might know him from such pieces as the Ballet Girl. That's one of his famous bronzes, a young girl who's wearing like a small tutu with um, her shoes in her hand. Um, he's also well known for the Gates of Hell <laughs> yes. door that he attempted to make, which yeah. um, you can see a copy of in Philadelphia. Like one of the versions, like, because bronzes can be made multiples of, um, is in the there's a, a specific museum for him in philadelphia which is a really great place to go it's one of my favorite museums partially because his work is off like he did do um pastels and that kind of art but um two-dimensional art but there are huge pieces that you like step into when you're in front of and his bronzes and his statues like when you're in the presence of them are almost it's mind-boggling the way that he imitates like weight and form and the way people's bodies are considering that he was going blind at the later half of his life is really amazing so which is why his bronzes get more rough but like that so feeling those... of being in the presence with it is similar to what you're talking about yeah like standing before rodan's gates of hell Gave me a real appreciation for Edward Ellerk standing at the gates. Um, Which I think are based off of visually, aren't they? I mean, yes, and it's all... Now that I'm thinking about it, they really look similar. <laughs> and they all are based off of, I believe there's something in Talmudic. Um, yeah, there's like an lore. older thing. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like that as well. It's all interrelated. But it gives you a sense of presence and... What you can sense from a physical object is just a three it's an object in, yeah, it's different. It's like I'm, we're going back to you and the Van Goghs that you didn't understand until you were in front of them in person. Yeah, I'm just like, Oh, it's this guy and he like killed himself and he was a crazy painter and it's like then I start looking at all the pieces and I'm like, Oh like Like I'm having an emotional reaction to this thing you made. Yeah, and it's like years ago, and it and it wasn't like a lot of his paintings were like he painted things that were peaceful, normal, 
yeah, like fields of grain, these trees, and just kind of focusing in on the branches of the trees. Um, I mean, some of the, his stuff was a little weirder, but a lot of it was like nice, peaceful things where he was just aiming to get the feeling of this area. With and he had a real ability to communicate that moment and that thing in that moment. Yeah. In a way that's hard to to really describe unless you've witnessed it. And you know what? This this kind of reminds me of something I've always said, which is with Volks in particular. Pictures of Volks dolls do very little for me. Hmm. Yeah. It's when I have one in front of me that I feel a wow reaction. And I have a little bit less of that with other companies because for whatever reason, I think they photograph better, perhaps. Yeah. Um, something about the way they're designed or the way that they're made. Like, Ipple House always looks wild to me. And in person, I get the same. Like, I don't get a, a very distinctly different reaction from an Ipple House doll in person. Doll Chateau, I'll get a wow out of that I don't always get in the pictures. But Volks and Dolphy Dreams in particular, like, I always go, ah, I don't really like Dolphy Dreams. I'm not, like, into their aesthetic. And then I'll see one in person, I'll be like, oh, no, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, these dolls in particular, also as art pieces, really are impossible to experience the same way in person as not in person. Yes. Um, and, of course, there's things like texture of the vinyl and the weight of the doll and things like that but also of course uh, the dolls are part of our personal expressions as well like we can go out and we can take pictures of it and we can like we can pose them in our spaces in a way that we we gives us character and a story to kind of see in our spaces you know i'm gonna have 9s and 2b have a tea party at some point and this is just for the joy of it. There's, yes. there's a bottom level enjoyment of experiencing, like, joy is important, and sometimes joy is the silly tea party you can make out of these beautifully made pieces, and sometimes it's the emotion you feel making deeply emotional, emo-style photographs using dolls, or the sort of airy, untouchable aesthetic people sometimes will create in your space. And more than perhaps most art images that are like art pieces that we can own in our homes, dolls are kind of on the closer to affordable end yeah. of like actually interacting with an art piece. Because like, I have a Bastik doll limited run made by a single atelier artist who has a face-up on him that is unique in the entire world that was done by an artist who specialized in it. And he's... those this It's all these artistic expressions of different people together creating this one thing into a unique thing that I'm molding into an aesthetic I really enjoy. And there's something very satisfying, going back to that word, about... Look, having that in my space and building that thing in my space that I interact and develop with in a different way than various other like soft art pieces. Like a lot of, I have a lot of soft art pieces in my room. And what what do you mean by soft art? Do you mean like mostly? Plush? I'm basically I'm talking like plush artists. Stuff. Okay, okay. I was I was wondering if there's like such a thing as soft soft art and hard art. Like there's 
like in retail there's soft lines and hard lines i'm sure there is but in in this case this is like like um art pieces that are really done in the plush medium but are truly like one-off art pieces Mm. not intended precisely for hard child play but sometimes they are i have this cute little bat and he's white and then on the inside of his 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 little wings and on the inside of his uh ears Ears? yeah there's i know the one you're talking about a blueprint and in the blueprint there's little pineapples and it brings you a great amount of satisfaction just have him hanging out with you. He's a cute little pineapple baddie. Yeah. And I have this beautiful piece that is, there aren't a lot of them because it takes a lot of effort for her to put them together. But he's basically a very accurate reproduction of one of the flying dinosaurs. And he's printed Minky on a beautifully made Minky. And has all these like little details, and he's perfectly made. And I just, he lives next to my computer because I really get a lot out of having him in my space. Um, and the other thing is, we've talked about how we want other people to be viewed by us being reflected in our space by the objects that we put in there. But step two of that is the person sees that object and then engages in conversation and engages in your culture. It's a, it's a share of culture between two people. It's a way to interact. It all goes back to social groups and like identifying ourselves. But there's always that pull up question. Yeah. Like there's a few ways I like, I, this is a, a something I'd love to talk about another time is what, what is the difference between calling something a toy and calling something art? And why is it important sometimes to justify what we're doing by calling it an art piece? But it all comes back in the end to, do we need them? Probably not. Do we want them? Probably yes. Is it good to have in your environment things purely because they look good and they match your sort of, your environment? Yes. But there's a line you have to draw about meeting those hierarchy of needs before the others. So, in, in conclusion, I I am going to 2B, and also I'm going to 9S. Um, <laughs> and why is that? Because it makes me happy. I am engaging in a piece of art that connects me to a culture and a subculture. I'm engaging in a piece of art that helps me connect with my friends. My Even with the not, like, actually, what do you call it? Um, licensed to be outfit. It was one of the first times that I could easily show my dolls to my friends. That might be because the creepy eyes were covered with a blindfold. But that still, helps. that did help a lot. <laughs> it did did help that uncanny and, valleyness. And you have saved, and you your household is fine, and your food for the next week is covered, and you have the money set aside for it. Yes, and I have all these things, and in the end, I want to... Yes, I could just deem it being a collector's item that I don't really need or want or anything, but on the same time, I want to encourage Volks and Square Enix to continue the relationship so that more things like this might be created in the future as well, not only for me, but for other collectors. And it's not going to put you out of your rent. No. And that's, like, the important balance, because there's a lot of ways we can bring art into our spaces that are less expensive, essentially. 
there's other price points that we can work at. But if you have the funds and you dedicate the funds, then go have some fun. Why not bring an art piece into your house? I mean, not only an art piece, but one that you can engage with directly, that you can change and become part of the story of what that object is. So it is good. So I will to be, and I will to nine. I will two nines. I will nines as well. well. You will have two. One will be a B. One will be an S. (laughs) And maybe eventually one will be an A. But we'll see what folks does about that. Exactly. And so I think very, very naturally we come to what we normally say when we sign off. But first. Oh, yeah. We we always need to say the things that are important things as I lean away from the mic so I can look at the things that I'm supposed to say. Do you have any feelings about what it's like to invest in a doll and what does it mean as an art piece and what does art mean to you and what experiences have you had having to, you know, defend your choices of purchase. Well, there are several ways you can get in touch with us to, to continue that conversation. One of which, of course, is via Facebook, even though the place might be a hell ground of strangeness. We do exist on it amongst it, and we can be a nice place to go. Our Facebook can be found underneath our usual name, Nino Bingo. I'm going to attempt to spell it without ruining it. N-I-N-G-Y-O-B-I-N-G-O. I did it right! <laughs> Yay! I usually get stuck in the rhythm and I, and I can't spell the first part right. So that's one place that you can talk to us. We definitely love seeing comments there. We also have a Twitter, a blog spot, a website, and our Gmail is ningyobingo, N-I-N-G-Y-O-B-I-N-G-O at gmail.com. We love getting emails about it, especially if you notice something going wrong with the feed. Please tell us. It helps. I um, code Becca. this by myself, so... Becca, 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 Becca. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot to tell you, and I just remembered. What? We have another review on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed this maybe two months ago, and I clearly completely forgot about it. Um, But we have two, count them, two reviews on iTunes. We would love to have more, to be honest, because it helps other people find the show. Um who are maybe looking for something because i know we're we're pretty much the only bjd podcast that exists at the moment yeah i was um posting on the dolphy dreams forum and i kind of briefly described who we were because i was using the translations we were working on for the 9s oh, and yeah, 2b yeah, 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 and there yeah. and someone was like yes i know those and that fact that's why i'm actually know what these dolls are right now and i'm interested in getting these and i'm like oh, oh my god i oh am known god, really <laughs> oh my god I, Holy someone shit. knows me what? oh my god sorry cursing but oh my god somebody like listens to our show and is like we're doing this hobby because oh no oh 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 becca oh well you guys can see if you have stayed around to the end of this episode now you can see what happens when we actually see these things we get very excited um, i have it in front of me okay so 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 our new newest um review on nino bingo because i just want to shout out because i'm very excited and please people please write more of these um is from Eyelass and Oki, which I'm not entirely sure what country that that's referring to, but I love the name. And it says, in, ter- in, in reaction to the history of shelling, which is an episode I wasn't really expecting many reactions from, on August 16th, I enjoyed listening to the history of BJD collecting and the historical roots and technology of and multicultural perspective on shelling characters. And I'm just like, yes! 
Whoa. Thank you, Eyeless. We really appreciate it. And of course, a shout out to Queen of Squids, who long, long ago, in like one of our first episodes, left a beautiful review, which honestly has helped keep us going. Lindsay, so. I just got like one of those good chills, like, like, like listening to music, good chills, that good oh. chill. Oh, good. This, like, this literally makes the time me and Becca spend together chatting about this stuff worth it. So if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, it really does help people find us. If you want to tell people about us, please feel free. We love this stuff. And if you want to talk to us about any of the things or give us ideas for stuff you'd want us to talk about more about, I know we have on the docket different, talking about the history of different companies and all sorts of things we have lined up for you guys. So, Oh, yes. And of course, all the things that we've we've done oh one of the things i want to talk do with you and Lindsay, and i'm sure a lot of people would be interested in is uh traveling in japan for the 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 dolly inclined oh yeah no we could definitely do something about that it's not as hard as it feels but it does require a little bit of research and it helps to know some japanese because they're not in obvious places (laughs) often yes but Yes, we can definitely do an episode. But, like, stuff like that. If you want to hear us talking about something or you have questions or you're not sure about something or you would like our opinion or would like some history digging, because we love doing that, let us know via all the many ways you can find us. And now that we have done our shilling section of our podcast. Yes. So, as you are looking at the first limited doll you are ever going to have a pre-order for, and are loathing the fact that you're going to be in the middle of the Poconos and unable to have any internet in which to pre-order this doll first, so everybody's going to get it before you, but it doesn't really matter because everybody's going to get it eventually because there's a pre-order where everyone is fulfilled. Remember... (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, I can't pick it up from you, Becca. I have the second half of that. (laughs) To keep on collecting dolls. But keep a budget.